Hello and welcome to the very first weekly general meeting podcast. Uh, I'm Neil Conlon. And I'm Shane Langan on a slightly cheaper mic here in London. On this week's show, music from Hosier, poetry from Cal Ryan, and a nice chat with Father Ted co-creator Arthur Matthews, all recorded in front of an intimate audience in Dublin City. So all of that's still to come. First up is Shane himself reading one of his John Garrison secret agent stories. This one is called Tainted Rendezvous. Garrison entered the sparsely populated late-night cafe and surveyed his surroundings. Quiet, he said loudly. (laughs) A little too quiet. The waitress who was standing behind the nearby counter looked confused and turned on the radio. Garrison nodded gratefully. Perfect, he smiled. In the corner sat a young woman wearing sunglasses, a trilby and a trench coat. Could she be my contact, he thought. There's only one way to find out. I hear the Californian Sauvignon grapes are coming along nicely this year, he said as he cautiously sat down. She nodded. Yes, but shooting on the new Kevin Costner film is behind schedule. (laughs) That was the correct response. I'm John Garrison. You must be Sandra Lovett. The young woman removed her sunglasses and trilby and glared at Garrison. I said, shooting on the new Kevin Costner film is behind schedule. Come on, pleaded Garrison. We don't have to go through all this, do we? I know who you are, you know who I am. Let's get down to business. But the prissy little thing wasn't letting it go. (laughs) I know you have no respect for following protocol, Commander Garrison, but some of us like to do things by the book. Shooting on the new Kevin Costner film is behind schedule. Jesus Christ, you pen pushers are all the same, he growled. But she remained steadfast. Okay, okay. He acquiesced. Well, I've never known a Kevin Costner film to finish on schedule. She was loving putting him through this. He could see it in her eyes, her dark, dead eyes. Or on budget, she added. Garrison sighed and shook his head. You can't fault the man for wanting to get everything perfect. So you'd call what he's been doing recently perfect? Her spiteful grin just got bigger and bigger. This was Christmas and her birthday all rolled into one. Look, do we really need to go through this? But the Ice Queen didn't thaw. So you'd call what he's been doing recently? Garrison cut her off. All right, all right. Hold on a minute. We're nearly there. You can do it, Garrison. What comes next? She gloated. Garrison was drawing a blank. He rooted in his pockets. What are you doing? She asked. I'm looking for my notebook. You're supposed to have this memorized. I'm sorry if I'm a little too busy doing actual spying. You know what spies do to learn your stupid code. We're not starting until you recite every correct response. This girl must have been 30 years younger than Garrison without so much as a day in the field under her Gucci belt. But here she was sneering at this legend of the service, this titan of espionage. Sure, his bones were a little creakier than they used to be. Sure, his hair was a little greyer, but damn it, he deserved more respect than this. Unsure what to do next, Garrison pulled off his trademark move. He removed his gun from its holster and pointed it in her face. (laughs) Now who's calling the shots? The staff and clientele gasped in horror. Sandra Lovett turned pale, the grin on her face quickly disappearing. 
here's what's going to happen. I'm going to reach into my pocket and hand you my expense receipts. And you, you're going to take them, bring them back to your office, file them, and issue me with a check within 30 days. Okay? Um, she squirmed. Now it was Garrison whose Christmas Day birthday it was. We, uh, we... What? I can't hear you. He sneered. We, we don't issue checks anymore. We just transfer expenses directly into agents' accounts now. Perfect, smiled Garrison. That's even more convenient. <laughs> Lovett was shaking with sheer terror now. Yes, it's easier for us too. Garrison reholstered his gun and left, buying a pastry and a takeaway coffee on his way out. He neatly folded the receipt into his wallet. After all, this was a business meeting. <laughs> Thank you very much. This podcast is based on the monthly general meeting live nights that we've been running in Dublin for the last two years. Our next guest, Cal Ryan, is a poet who runs a similar night called the Brown Bread Mixtape, which you should check out. Uh, we were delighted to have him at the podcast recording, and here he is. Hello, hello. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for inviting me along. Um, so podcasts are great, aren't they? Because nobody really listens to them anyway. But uh, we have one. I know this for a fact. Um, I was thinking we should probably start some kind of a East Coast, West Coast type of rivalry, hip-hop war or something about podcasts just to get people to start listening to them. So fuck you guys. Yeah. Uh, this is a poem I wrote. So the Bremer Mixtape, we themed the night. And um, the theme on this particular night was things that are cool. Um, so I did uh, what is classified as a list poem. I essentially just listed everything that I think is cool in this world. And if you uh, think they're cool too, you can shout, you can roar, you can go, woo! You can say, come on, Ireland, whatever it is. Let people know that there's people in the room listening to the podcast because we might be the only ones actually listening to this podcast. Um, so please uh, interact in whatever way you want. You don't have to interact on every single line. There's a lot of cool things in here. Okay, here we go. Live music, live poetry, live comedy, any art form live. Nick Cave, Most Deaf, Dave Brubeck's Take 5. Watching box sets of The Wire back to back on DVD. Rewatching genius comedies like Faulty Towers by the BBC. Listening to Tom Waits and wishing I was in the Phantom 309 with Big Joe the Trucker. And that moment in Die Hard when Bruce Willis says, Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Han Solo, Axel Foley, Batman and James Bond. Bob Dylan's first nine albums especially Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde, The Poetic Wings of Desire by Vim Vendors, the greatest film of all time, and an afternoon spent reading Rilke's deftest, softest rhymes, Miles Davis solos, Cab Calloway lyrics, James Jameson on bass, and an imagining what all that would sound like put together if you were off your face. <laughs> Drinking cold, cold beer on a hot day from a condensation-covered can, watching the big Lebowski and smiling each time new shit comes to light, man. Being pleasantly surprised about something you'd clearly gotten wrong. Being so happy at a gig you almost wish you were the song. William Butler Yeats's heartbreaking poem, The Lover Laments the Loss of Love, and using phrases like six to one, half a dozen the other, and when push comes to shove. Reading the New York trilogy by Paul Oster for the very first time, or immediately thirsting for Jonas Gardell's next novel as you read the last line, and hysterically laughing along to Tommy Cooper, Mitch Hedberg and Bill 
Bill Hicks having a great dinner, a nice bottle of wine, and then going to the flicks, and then putting on the headphones and listening to Achtung Baby and the Joshua Tree, and then dimming the lights to listen to Zuropa and Pop, knowing that they're the best secretly. And every film ever made by Werner Herzog, each one is a slice of genius and of madness. And finally understanding that happiness is always on the other side of sadness. And watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off for the fifth, which always gets the biggest reaction. Uh, never mind great art of all time, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Sorry, I ruined the reading of my poem. Watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off for the 50th time and laughing as hard as the first being completely down and exhausted and thinking, well, at least it can't get any worse. Berman liegt am Meer, an astonishing painting by Anselm Kiefer at the Met, and hearing the unsung poetry and vile collaborations of the late, great Bertolt Brecht, and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco, the most perfect blend of poetry, melody, and noise, and being at the heart of a party. And just for an instant, you're as cool as the Beastie Boys. Thank you very much. Hosier has been an exciting presence on the Irish music scene since he released his Take Me to Church EP in 2013. And lo and behold, he was making his new album just around the corner from our podcast recording, and he popped in to play us a quick song. This is the incredible Hosier. Um, thank you. Um, I just want to say thanks to, to Neil for giving me a call and asking me to, to come down. This is my first time. Um, but anyway, this song is called uh, To Be Alone. There's, a, there's an artist called uh, Junior Kimbrough. I don't know if there's anyone here who's familiar with an artist called Junior Kimbrough. He's like a, very like John Lee Hooker. Um, he wasn't quite from the Delta of Mississippi, but very like kind of John Lee Hooker and would have been a big influence on kind of early Black Keys, I suppose. But this song was kind of inspired by a Junior Kimbrough song. But it's called To Be Alone. Anyway, I hope you like it. folks around when they're playing the anthems of rape culture loud crude and proud creatures baying all I've ever done is hide from our times when you're near me honey when you kill the light my eyes I feel like a person for a moment of my life but you don't know what hell you put me through to have someone kiss the skin that crawls from you Feel your weight in arms I'd never use. It's the God that everyone prays to. It feels good, girl, it feels good. It feels good, girl, it feels good. 
It feels good, girl, it feels good Oh, to be along with you Final guest, Arthur Matthews, is the comedy legend responsible for shows like Father Ted, Big Train, and most recently, Toast of London. He's a bit of a hero of mine and Neil's, to say the very least, and we were absolutely delighted when he dropped in to chat to Neil about writing comedy and the logistics of saying mass in a car. Hello. Hello. Um, this is... Uh, this Keep is, my call. Yeah, yeah. This is really awful because uh, it's, it's, not, um, it's not often that you get to meet your heroes and this is already really awkward, but uh, <laughs> uh, Shane really didn't want to do this because he thought he'd be too embarrassed to do it. And, uh, and here I am. I can't even look you in the eye. But anyway, <laughs> sure, sure. We'll, we'll pretend you're there. We'll pretend you're there. So, Arthur. Um, hello. Hello. We... Uh, W- w- with these Q&A sections, because a lot of people... You must be very cold. Yep, just, <laughs> just let's get through it. Uh, um, with these Q&A sessions, there's a lot of people uh, in the audience that are writers or have written, and um, 
I certainly would love to have the opportunity to uh, ask, say, for somebody like yourself, how you broke in to comedy and to writing. I know you started in Hot Press in Dublin. Uh, yeah, I was in Hot Press, uh, art director, which at the time was just sticking bits of paper down with glue. <laughs> um, and Graham Linehan came in as a mostly film critic interviewer. So I met Graham and uh, we just got on and he was very funny. And uh, we did a kind of sketch group together with Paul Woodfull, who I do a lot of work with. And then Graham went to London, and then he asked me to go to London, so I went to London, and we wrote sketches, and sent them to Smith and Jones, and they used them. So that was it, really. They just, we just sent sketches in, they liked them, and uh, then we wrote sitcoms. We wrote uh, Father Ted. We wrote a thing called Paris with Alexi Sale that got made, and then we did Father Ted. And then we just, Jeffrey Perkins, who produced Father Ted, introduced us to uh, Paul Whitehouse, Charlie Higgs, and then we did the Stuff of the Fast show. And we just, uh, then we met, there was a production company, Talkback, that we did the Paris show for, and that was Alexi Sale, and then we wrote for his sketch show. And then, at the time, Armando Winucci, Chris Morris were doing stuff with Talkback, so we, we just met them, and we wrote some stuff for them. So it's just one thing. Uh, led to another, really. So your advice would be send sketches to Smith yeah. & Jones? Well, um, not anymore. But any sketches, there's quite a lot of sketch shows around, so send them to the production company, really, not the channel, but the production company. See the name of the production company at the end of the programmes. Sure. So just send them in, really. I mean, there's a lot more... Like, when we... This was 20, over 20 years ago. And there was just very few stations. It was the BBC and Channel 4, ITV, but I mean, ITV was not really the kind of stuff we were going to do stuff for ITV. And Sky, and that was basically all. But you now there's like loads of stuff. BBC Three does lots of sketch shows yeah. and more for. And you never wrote for RTE um, in the early days? No, no. We just, we just... Well, they didn't really do much comedy. They certainly didn't do kind of comedy that we we're interested in so we used to say well, you might as well send sketches to Smith and or to a Waterford Glass or something rather than, <laughs> rather than Smith and Jones but they just didn't you know at the time they didn't really do much comedy really right there and wasn't a tradition of it there I, I did love like I mean, ages ago I loved uh, Hall's Pictorial Weekly and Frank Kelly stuff he used to do a show called the Glen Abbey show uh, a radio show and a lot of the stuff is uh, online now. I found it actually a lot of the sketches, which are very funny. But apart from that, there wasn't just much comedy on. So we just, I mean, Graham moved to London anyway, so... Oh, was it much of a culture shock moving to London at that time? That no, been, not really. Not um, mid-90s? Early 90s? Yeah, it was 1991. 91. Uh, I just thought I'd go for a few months, but because we sent stuff to Smith and & Jones and they liked it, and one thing led to another, I just yeah. stayed there for a long time. First, I actually went to all the football grounds for the first 12 weeks. <laughs> I went to all the football grounds. I remember going to White Hart Lane and the Spurs ground and thinking, wow, that's amazing. And then I discovered it actually wasn't White Hart Lane. It was the Greyhound Stadium. <laughs> but it still looked... I thought, well, that looks pretty good, you know? <laughs> and, uh, like, in terms of... Uh, you've moved back to Dublin now. You were in London for years and you wrote a lot of really successful TV shows. But you came back to Dublin. You made the choice to come back to Dublin. Have you found that things have changed much since you came back? In Dublin? Yeah. Um, 
No, I see. Well, I was always back and forth. It wasn't like I went for years and never came back. Yeah. But I still, you see, posters for bands that are still playing, like that I used to go and see 30 years ago. Really? Now, a lot of them did split up for 20 years and reformed. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to know because uh, I'm not really on the, on the, at the cutting ed- edge of things over here like you probably are so you'd know this, more this isn't me. the cutting edge of this is the cutting edge I, I know we i know we told you that to get you i'm here. not at the cutting edge <laughs> i'm not at the cutting edge except for tonight yeah. when i'm very much at the cutting edge i return uh, to the cutting edge um so in in those early days working at hot press it, it must have been um difficult to put on comedy shows like that would have been around the time that the International had been going a couple of years with uh, uh, Ardell and Yeah, Mr. Trellis, and I did uh, a few things with Paul Woodfull in, uh, in the International at the time. Uh, we didn't do very much there. And then w- w- Paul and me and Graham did, had this sketch group, but we only did a few shows. We did something in the project that Jeremy Hardy was on the bill, I remember. But we didn't really do very much of it, you know... Um, uh, we did. I was in the Joshua Trio with Paul, which was a, a U2 tribute band, <laughs> and uh, so that was fun. We got a donkey into the Bagot Inn. That was fun. <laughs> you got sorry. You got a donkey. A donkey, yeah. Right. We brought him from the. the he used to. He was the donkey. He used to be the badass donkey. Who there was a badass uh, cafe had a, a a kind of trailer they used to bring around as with a, a real as a, donkey. Yeah, a real donkey. I was a tr- it was an advertisement thing they used to bring around. You'd see the badass trailer with a donkey around town. <laughs> and we hired the donkey uh, for a one-off. How much does a donkey cost in 1990? I don't know. At the time, £3,000. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm guessing. I'm, I'm probably free. But it was the, uh, the only time the donkey was probably ever got on stage to the, the bag it in. But that was fun. <laughs> We used to reenact the birth of Bono and things on stage. Really? Is that what the, is that what the donkey was for? Uh, that was the Christmas show. It was <laughs> called, uh, that was a special. We didn't get the donkey in every show. But that was because uh, Paul used to dress up as kind of Jesus messianic Bono. And he came on stage on a donkey with all his robes. <laughs> and, uh, but that was, you couldn't do it now. Health and, health and safety, I imagine. Can't rent donkeys these days. How did you get it? Th- there's the big stairs down the Bagot Inn. Sorry well, no, we got them in the, the side. Donkey we, 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 didn't, we used to play upstairs in the Bagot Inn, but that would have been impossible to get a donkey up there. You'd have to get them on some kind of hydronic thing outside. <laughs> uh, so we didn't do that, but it was on the, on the main stage in the Bagot Inn. It was possible to get them in through the side door. Wow. Um, I, I genuinely am stumped. I want to ask more questions about the donkey, but I realise that that's inappropriate. Um, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm not still in touch with the donkey. So <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you mind me asking what's next? What, what project are you working on at the moment? Well, I did um, a show called Toast last year, with Toast of London, with Matt Berry, who's um, very, very funny. He's in the Mighty Boosh, and he was in the IT crowd. Um, he's got a musical career as well. He's in Vic and Bob's show uh, at the moment, House of Fools, Reeves and Mortimer. And Matt's very, very funny, and I did a show with him last year, so we're doing another series, which we'll shoot in the summer this year, and I'm doing a kind of radio show next month as well for the BBC and another pilot thing for the BBC. 
So you found um, that being based here hasn't affected no, the, that side all. of things? It's, well, with the, in, with, the, uh, with the way I work with Matt, it's like um, we just have idea sessions and then, uh, you know, we just... You can be in different countries. I mean, there was a time you'd have to be in the same room. Now you don't have to be in the same country as someone if you're writing with, with the uh, email and all that kind of stuff. So, no, um, with Graham it was pretty intense because, uh, like, we lived together as well and we lived in... Uh, Griffrey's Jones flat for a while. With Griff? Or yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, had, he, he moved out. He, his, as he got uh, richer and richer, he'd buy all these houses <laughs> and he didn't know what to do with them. So uh, we stayed in, in Kilburn, actually. But uh, we did pay him rent. But, uh, and uh, he put up all these shelves, for all these bookshelves, and then one, Graham had millions of books and he put them on the bookshelves. And one night they just collapsed. It was like an earthquake. And Griff was, was uh, annoyed because he'd put them up himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so th those years where you and Graham lived together and you wrote, did you write from your flat or did you go into places? No, was no, that we, kind we of did everything. We, we did uh, everything in the flat. And it was one of those... Uh, it wasn't even a computer. It was a word processor. It was just between typewriters. In fact, I think the very first... Thing we, things we wrote was probably on a... Oh, no, it wasn't actually on a typewriter. It was a word processor where you type on it and then you'd print it out. But it wasn't like... It was really basic kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, we used to write and wrote loads of sketches. And uh, I remember Lexi Sale used to come to the flat and uh, when we were writing for him. And uh, we did kind of everything in the flat, yeah. It was, very, it was pretty intense. Whereas with Matt, I mean, I don't even know Matt that well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, it's very different, but um, it was fun. I mean, we used to just watch television all the time, Graham and myself, and just get loads of ideas. From that. I mean, that was how we just got ideas, just watching television and thinking, wow, television is great because like, things look much better on television than if you actually had to go out and experience things yourself. <laughs> like, there's a brilliant sunlight, or sunset. See, that, look, that looks better on television than if you actually went out and see it. <laughs> we did, we, we just uh, got loads of ideas, and it was a... Uh, we, we didn't even have a bla uh, television when we moved first. We, I remember we were going to buy one, and I thought, we just got a black and white one. <laughs> that, was, that was so ridiculous thinking about it now. <laughs> That's how long ago it was and everything. But, uh, and then we heard, uh, so we had a radio, and I used to listen to Radio 4, and there was a show called, uh, well, one night I turned it on, and it was like this really weird news show, with very strange news stories in it. And it was just brilliantly done, because it, it was a spoof show, and that was uh, On The Hour, which became The Day Today, which was Chris Morris and Steve Coogan and uh, Armando Anucci. But that was the first time I heard that show, and that was just the beginning of all the Coogan Armando, uh, Anucci, Chris Morris stuff. And uh, I just thought it was a just very, very funny show. But that's because yeah. I didn't have a television, so that's... <laughs> um, I would actually spend the rest of the evening asking you questions, which would get increasingly more personal, so I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but if there's anybody in the audience that... We haven't asked you if you're cool with this, but we're just going to... Yeah. yeah. Um, if there's anybody in the audience that would like to ask Arthur a question, please put your hand up and then ask the question. Afterwards, are these, are he, 
He's Arthur Matthews. You can ask me another, you can ask me another question. Uh, are you a little bit bummed out that nobody wanted to ask you a question? <laughs> um, I'm, very, I'm bitterly disappointed. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> can you tell us a bit about like, Father Ted and the origins? The origins of Father Ted? Yeah. Well, uh, in the Joshua Trio, I used to, uh, before the gigs, I'd come on as this character called Father Ted Critty. And just say a few stupid things like, uh, uh, if there's anyone at the back you can't see, say hello to them. They're from St. Dimpna's School for the Blind in Nab. <laughs> but, uh, so the character um, just developed. But my, I had two uncles who were priests, and uh, both dead now. And one was very old and one was young. And the older one had stayed in Ireland his entire uh, career. And the other one had gone to London, or eventually Birmingham. And he was a kind of trendy liberal priest, so he was more like Father Ted. He was great. He said, uh, he said mass in a car once, <laughs> which was brilliant because um, I, he was uh, flying. Uh, he was flying in from in from Birmingham to Dublin. I'd gone down to Wicklow to see some nuns, and I was flying out to. Uh, fl- I was flying uh, out from Dublin. Anyway, we, we, he used to come over to say my mother's anniversary mass every year. But this year, uh, he couldn't do it for some reason in the house he usually says it in. So he said, well, we'd say in the car in Dublin Airport. So he hired a car. <laughs> and uh, we met him in the Hertz car hire place. <laughs> and then myself and my sister got into the back of the car. And he was in the front, just in the driver's seat. And he got all the stuff out of the back, all the priest stuff. It was in the kind of old biscuit tin. With the, you know, the chalice and wine and everything. And he just sat, sat in the driver's seat and said mass. <laughs> we were kind of looking him in the mirror. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a really short sermon. <laughs> we used, uh, he was great. He was, uh, we used to go over to see him in his uh, parochial house in Birmingham. He, he ran the Irish club in Hansworth in Birmingham. It was great. I was there once and he said that we were in the kitchen. We used to, like go to his kitchen a lot there in the parochial house. And he said once, myself and my sister, he said, put on the strokes tape. I said, well, that's pretty hip. Like, you know, the strokes. And uh, so he put it on, and it was actually a tape for victims of strokes. (laughs) 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 It was with people uh, recovering from strokes to help, you know, relatives. But uh, it was full of that kind of stuff. And then he, uh, his, he had 50, he was fi- 40 years a priest, and his celebrations for that in Birmingham as well. And he had a band playing called, there was all these Irish bands playing, uh, based in Birmingham. But this was called, this band was called the Silver Tones. And he said to us, the great thing about these is you can talk over them. That was a... Uh, but the other um, uncle, the elderly uncle, who was more, um, it stayed in Ireland, he was pretty severe. And I found myself once at home in the living room, my sister and mother were in the kitchen, and I was there with Uncle Paddy, who was very old, he was in his 70s, very stern man. And uh, Prince live in concert was on television, and we were both looking at it, like, in silence. <laughs> and eventually he just said to me, what the hell will be going on in his mind? <laughs> So uh, 
they were all that kind of stuff. There was a few like that, and I was, I was at home, there was just loads of priests in the house, and Uncle Tom and Uncle Paddy, and Uncle Tom, I remember, he'd, uh, he'd always have other priests with him as well, and a lot of the time they were recovering from strokes, actually, I remember that. <laughs> but uh, they used to say things like, we put it in Father Ted, uh, uh, have you seen Father Hackett recently? How old would he be? Would he be 80 now? And that was just exactly the kind of dialogue that I grew up around. <laughs> we, we put a lot of that in, in Father Ted, really. It was a mixture of real priests and my experiences and Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the best origin of Father Ted's story <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, um, and I'm going back to not looking you in the eye, um, <laughs> Your work has certainly been an inspiration to a lot of people, not least Shane and myself, and we're absolutely delighted that you came down tonight. Well, and thank we you very much. It. Big round of applause for Arthur Matthews. <laughs> That's all for this week's show. Thanks for downloading, and a big thanks to all our guests, Calla Ryan, Hozier, and Arthur Matthews. You can follow us on Twitter at TheWeeklyGM, and we'll leave you with a quick poem from Shane. This is The Cat. Talk to you next time. As I set an excited plate, this as I waited for my date, careful not to tread upon unseen pile my cat had shat upon the floor. <laughs> Lest this point it needs recapping endlessly, it seems he's crapping, my figurative face it seems he's slapping, crapping on my kitchen floor. <laughs> Is this my life's lot, I ponder, picking crap up off the floor? But then a knock upon my door. Pausing coolly as I should, more softly knocks on solid wood. Check my hair in grubby mirror as I walk towards the door. A tender greeting leaves me smitten. Take winter coat from hands frostbitten. One moment later she steps in kitten, kitten shit right near the door. <laughs> Give me your shoe, I awkward bid. Upon hot water I then pour and leave to dry next to the door. At dinner, stony silence blooms. We dance around elephant in room. Trunkless, bitter kitten watching, squatting, pooing on the kitchen floor. Without an appetite between us, I lamely joke. <laughs> Who could blame us beholding side of my cat's anus doing laps across the kitchen floor? <laughs> the girl starts to make excuses. Excuses that will take her from my door. But now she lies upon my floor. The kitten took her from behind. She had no chance. Her side was blind. I wish I could say that he was kind as he mauled her on the floor. When she was dead, he resumed pooing, knowing well what he was doing. My face now grey with sickness brewing, brewing with night of mixed-up gore. I turned to Cass for explanation, a reason for this rotten core. He looked at me and then shot on the floor. <laughs> Thank you.